All right, guys, I'll do a countdown just so I get a clean cut. Um, we'll go in and sorry, this is my screen. So I'm going to switch where you guys are. Uh, we'll go, I'll do the countdown five, four, three, two, one. And then um, Andrew, I'll quickly introduce you. And at some point um, after two slides, introduce our, all of our panelists and you guys can can chat and then we'll go straight into the debate and then we'll have some housekeeping stuff at the end that we'll want to get across. All right. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. Welcome everybody to the after hour session of the Future of Work 2020 plus plus. Um, we have just had a webcast on talent, career, and skills with a whole bunch of panelists. And we have a whole bunch of new panelists here. But this is a, a new format myself, Sean Moffat, and Andrea Cates have introduced. We just want to have a discussion around future of work uh, and hopefully get some leading minds um, to actually get into maybe some face-offs, maybe some debate, and certainly some insight about the future. I want to introduce Andrea Cates, my fellow partner in crime on all of these webcasts. Andrea, what is your prevailing thought right now? I think this is probably the most relevant topic in the entire work topic of topics. So I'm, I'm excited to get into it. I love your improv already. I didn't tell you I was going to ask you that and you gave me the improv answer. So in, in the true spirit of what this is, um, just a couple of things uh, and why we're so hyper fixated on future of work beyond the fact it's an important topic not a lot of people know about it and it's made much more complicated by this thing called a pandemic we actually do have a guild of sorts we've uh, introduced a global guild of people about 50 plus um if you hear this webcast at any point in the future and go hey i might be interested in that um definitely give us a shout at hello at futureproofingnext.com uh, we'll talk about what it really aims to do at the back uh, half of this webcast. So we just um, had a webcast on the future of work and um, we had people from around the world talk about stuff and we'd love to get into a, a kind of roll up your sleeves discussion format here. Here's kind of our infographic. We usually have a hero kind of slide that we introduce um, on each one of our webcasts. And we're covering off kind of what I would call a third of the onion in terms of future of work. We're going to talk about talent, career, and skills, I'm sure, in future webcasts. And we may even touch upon them today. There'll be the other five to six parts of the, uh, the wheel that we'll cover off. And I want to introduce our expert panelists that have been sitting here so patiently waiting to jump in and weigh in on the debate. Um, from left to right, Christine Vandebeek, she's hailing to us from Vancouver today. She's a founder of Effect Change Advisory. She's a people strategy consulting leader, and uh, I'm envious for a couple different reasons. She's worked for a few companies that I absolutely love and adore, and she lives in Vancouver, which um, is much warmer than it is in Toronto right now, and uh, very interesting. Say hi, Christine. Hi, everyone, and thanks for that lovely introduction. Looking forward to jamming uh, on the future of work with you. And this is truly letting your, uh, letting your cobweb show as I, I look at some of the uh, quickly spelling uh, mistakes underneath your title. So, you know, I'll just come out and admit it. This is the format that we're in right now, I suppose, but I apologize on that. 
Uh, Alessandro Ramasa uh, uh, connecting to us from Milano, kind of uh, at least at some point the lightning rod for um, kind of this whole pandemic storm that kind of uh, crawled over into Europe. He's a future of work and digital transformation expert. He's co-founder of Talent Garden. Um, say hi, Alessandro. Hi, Sean. Hi, everyone. And thank you for having me in this, uh, I mean, interesting and uh, uh, very, I mean, uh, important topic at the moment that is uh, future work and in particular the skills part. Wonderful. Uh, looking forward to the European perspective, too, and continuing in that same vein, although it seems like Mar has worked uh, throughout the world. Um, uh, Margaret Bousquet, head of talent and organizational development for Esment, um, also worked at TD, which is, uh, I guess, my current bank in Canada. So I guess uh, there's a small plug for TD right there. But welcome, Mar. Hello, everyone. Thank you for having me on this uh webinar and uh, looking forward to the discussion and uh, learning from you guys and sharing perspective, lessons learned. So thanks. And maybe before we get into it, because uh, you have been chosen, uh, uh, not only because you're leaders in the space and, and know a lot about it, but um, you're all, you also kind of tackle it from three different angles. Maybe give us just the 20 seconds of kind of what your day-to-day -day life uh, professionally is and, and how it may impact this topic maybe christine if you could just give us some some background to what you do and um, how how it orientates itself around future work absolutely so the focus for me is really working with vps and executives to future proof their orgs through technology org design and also strategy and you know since since we're in this pandemic um the the past has really been kind of shifting them into a world of big data, AI, um, social impact, uh, looking at kind of um, cloud-based technologies. Um, but since the pandemic has hit, you know, it's, it's more of a kind of essentialism and, and really a focus on how do we deliver the basics stunningly well and use technology, work design, and strategy to do that. Excellent. Well, very tight too. Like, um, I think you've, you've made that uh, preamble at some point recently with some of your clients. Um, Alessandro, your your take on it. We were just talking before the webcast. You've uh, you got this interesting blend of uh, skill sets that I don't oftentimes see. So your take on the future work. The the point for me on the future of work is that uh, I'm trying to help uh, the HR community in Italy and C level uh, to redesign their companies. The point is that uh, if we want to attract new talents uh, and particular all the talents uh, that develop new skills uh, from developers to UX designer technologists, we must redesign the way we work, we must redesign the work environment, and we must put at the center people, not just the technology. So I'm, after 10 years in, in education, in designing a new path to learn new skills, now I'm helping companies to, I mean, attract these kind of talents. Wonderful. I think you've got a friend in Andrea on that one in terms of returning back to work. We, we rail <laughs> against all these back to work uh, people that are trying to figure out how to take your six foot desk and make it 12 foot just so you're further away from the next person beside you. And that's that's kind of the return to work uh, post pandemic, which I think is minimizing maybe how, how much change is ahead of us. And then Mar, um, just uh, Mention kind of your background, your orientation, future work, and certainly the work that Esmond does as well. 
Yeah, sure. So uh, my background is um, really spans marketing and HR. So I started off with marketing in banking in London, in working for Barclays in the UK. And um, I've moved around, as you said at the start, uh, Sean, I, I do like to learn about different cultures. And so I moved to Germany, Brussels, and uh, in the last few years I've been back in Spain. Um, so I think my work has really been about engaging whether customers and prospects or uh, employees and, and candidates. And uh, throughout uh, this experience, what I've seen is that really the future of work is now. We always think that the future is ahead of us and it really is happening now. Things are accelerating, change is accelerating, and we need to tap into the collective intelligence to be able to be ready. And it doesn't matter whether you're a private company, a multinational, a tiny non-profit, or somewhere in the public sector. I think we, we all need to work together and uh, in order to be ready for what's coming in and what's happening already now. And really good point. You asked about Esment. So Esment is actually a non-for-profit um, where I work, uh, I've worked for the last four years. It's a very small but innovative company. Wonderful. No, I, I, and I love your point about the future is now. I, I tend to come out of my mouth quite often, like, uh, you know, the, the, the problem with future of work sometimes is you never get there. It's always out there in the future. So I'm glad that we've got a very present motive behind this. All right. Are we ready to debate? Maybe are we ready to put up our boxing gloves uh, or maybe collaborate? We'll see. Um, we've got a number of different debate topics we'd love to go through about the future of work and, uh, to be fair to our panelists, I may actually ask Andrea first to uh, weigh in on, on one of them. Um, certainly, we've seen a range of different articles about the pandemic being horrible and it's going to lead to structural unemployment to, ah, maybe it's not so bad. Remote work is not so bad after all, too. Wow, this is a, a one-time opportunity to actually rechange and reframe how we do things. Andrea, which camp are we in here? Is this is a pandemic short of all the the health and economic issues that we have. Is this five years out net a good thing for the future of work, bad or indifferent? I think short term, it's absolutely a horrible disaster. And one of my favorite phrases is Debbie Downer. I have this Debbie Downer feeling that we've forgotten to mention that we've all been through death. We've all witnessed our neighbors feeling fearful. We've all experienced grief and it's unexpressed. At least in, I live in the United States. There's kind of a political side to many things. So I think in the short term, this massive unemployment and, and uncertainty has been completely understated. And I think that that's ill-advised because I don't know that we can move forward well into the next phase uh, without a bit of Debbie Downer. So hate to say that. Now the rational optimist that you and I are, Sean, says that we can't not grieve. We can't not acknowledge this moment. And I think putting it under the rug is wrong. However, I think that it, we will be forced to think about all kinds of things, the haves and the have nots, the notion of what a job really is, the feeling of what are we as humans? Are we there here to be productive all day or figure out some basic needs and then be creative all day? So I would say short term, total Debbie Downer, completely fearful that we've understated the impact. And a couple of years from now, probably more optimistic than I've been that, that we will be phoenixes that rise from these ashes. 
Now, I've got uh, uh, four different pandemic debates here. I'll ask my panelists, you can either choose something on the board. This is almost like Family Feud, where you can choose something on the board or you can just choose your own debate topic. I'm not biased anyway, so I'll, I'll ask Alessandro first, just um, things that I've thought deeply about. Will unemployment kind of rebound or will it be structurally there? Will the workplace become more traditional yet again? We'll go back to our offices or will it become much more flexible and remote in the future? Will automation keep going steady at its current pace or will it be accelerated by all this? And will the workplace become more cutthroat and competitive as people vie for all these jobs or will it be more equitable and inclusive? Um, do you care to take one of the positions on this debate, Alessandro, or just choose one of your own around what the pandemic is gonna do to us? Uh, I mean, looking at this slide, I think that the workplace uh, will be definitely, uh, I mean, more flexible and remote work will be part of our lives. Not remote work, uh, uh, I mean, the, the same remote work that uh, we had in, in this uh, couple of months, but something different. And uh, uh, I would like to say that the workplace would be more inclusive but I'm not sure about that. And uh, uh, the point is that automation will be accelerated. I'm definitely sure about that. Yeah, it, it is amazing just as I see pretty much technology neophytes go from, can four people help me run this WebEx or do this Zoom to, now they're pretty comfortable with it. Uh, it's almost yeah. seeing learning in real time, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I think I, I think that I mean uh, uh, many people uh, uh, are saying that uh, the most important thing in digital transformation uh, was not the CEO or the CIO, but was uh, COVID nineteen, and that's true. And um, that's a good point, especially in Europe and and uh, South Europe, in which digital transformation was something definitely far from us. Uh, it's good, uh, but it's good then if we we, we use technology put people at the core of transformation. That's the point for me. Bravo, I agree. X gets the square. Um, Christine, and uh, you wanna weigh in on any of these debates? Take a, take a hard line view on one side or the other? Yeah, I'd, lo I'd love to. You know, automation is one that's close to my heart like it is um, uh, for most of you. Um, you know, what I would say to Alessandra's point is, yeah, for sure, we've seen just a rapid adoption of um, of, of digital tools, um, particularly in the communication collaboration space. So where we've been nudging um, companies and organizations for years to adopt these new technologies, um, you know, Microsoft Teams, uh, Zoom, et cetera, all of a sudden, bam, it happened in two weeks. Um, now, what is really the next frontier here is for organizations that are looking to kind of manage their costs, do their work more efficiently is to hunt down those transactional costs, those manual workarounds, um, where you've got um, forms that's really indicative of a process that could potentially be automated and where we can actually better leverage our talent to um, deliver more, or, uh, more value to our stakeholders and our clients. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's interesting how it hits the, it really hits the road. Um, the rubber hits the road in terms of how people are digesting what's just happened and how, um, you know, we had um, somebody in the healthcare profession on a webcast two, 
two webcasts ago saying how essentially healthcare was delivered 98% in a real live universe. And now within a four week span of time, uh, the complete chart is flipped where almost only 2% of it's um, kind of being delivered kind of in a live setting, which means you got to automate real quickly. Like as, as Andrea always says, like you change the tire as it's, uh, as the car is running on the road. So uh, Mar, uh, what's your pandemic stoic point of view here? Okay, so um, I'm more towards the right-hand side uh, here, and uh, I'll probably just add something to what Alessandro said, which was, uh, I think you said you're not sure about whether or not the workplace will be more inclusive, although you'd like it to be. I'm going to bet it will, because uh, what does the workplace depend on? It depends on leaders, right? Leaders create cultures, leaders create um, the, the priorities for the organizations. And I think both as consumers and as employees, we care a lot about the company that we buy from and the company we work for. And therefore, um, I think these will be our expectations that uh, the workplace is more inclusive and more equitable. Now, I've surfaced four debates. Um, there may be one that I haven't surfaced here. Is there there's something in your mind that you're going, wow, you know what? I've thought deeply about this and, and either I don't know which way it's going or uh, I either fear or like the way it's going. Is there something that isn't on my pandemic list that you've been thinking about saying, things will change and it's going to change this way. And I'll just open it up to anybody. This doesn't have to be sequential. Yeah, gosh, I mean, you know, something that's been on my mind, Sean, is as we look at, at your second one on the list, and you've given us a lot to riff off of here, but if we think about kind of flexibility in um, the workplace, and there's been so much talk about the gig economy. And I think a, a big question out there is, whether or not the, you know, whether or not we will see kind of more gig work going into the future. Um, what I'm really sensing as, you know, as, as we've kind of been in the grips of C19 is that um, there, there is kind of more of a mutual commitment between employees and employers. Um, and I'm, I'm seeing that kind of tick shape in multiple ways in, um, in both the compassion that's, that's exhibited by CEOs um, in people coming to um, the employee-employer relationship with more of a, how can we help each other survive rather than what can you do um, for me? So, you know, where I'm really sitting on the fence here is, yes, there's gonna be more flexibility in work, but I don't necessarily know that we're going to see kind of this, this um, exponential increase in gig work um, and whether or not we might see more of a pendulum swing to where we see more of a kind of long-term collaborative commitment um, between employees and employers. It is interesting. Uh, I'm taking it in a different direction too. It's like, you know, I, I thought the workday might collapse to be a smaller workday. Like there'll just be more computers, more tech allowing us to be more productive. So therefore our workdays become shorter. One of my fears is we brought it all home with us and work gets done. You know, I'm finding myself, my sleep patterns are off, but it shouldn't be new to me, but like just how work and personal life becomes inextricably kind of linked and that work happens at 10 o'clock at night after you've done something with somebody or whatever. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if anybody has that same thought yeah. that the workdays kind of become shapeless now. Uh, I mean, listening to what you're saying now, Sean, I think that's 
we must introduce a new concept that is not anymore the work-life balance, but it's the life balance, considering the work as part of life and not just life versus work. Because, I mean, changing the way we manage our days uh, and uh, at the end of the day, we manage uh, the way we do uh, all the work we have, we must consider that uh, life is just one and uh, uh, we have work that is probably uh, super important at the beginning of the career and then it changes, I mean, season by season, 10 years by 10 years. And uh, uh, we must, uh, I mean, finding the right mix. That is something that is true for uh, uh, everyone, for each of us, uh, considering that uh, uh, putting people at the core, put, putting people at the center of the, this way of redesigning the work in the companies means uh, understanding the uniqueness of uh, the single person and so listening to the different needs. So for me, uh, I mean, from the pandemic, uh, we must, uh, uh, I mean, uh, looking at the future of the future of work and the future of companies and the future of people, uh, understanding the differences between people and changing also the way we manage people. So having a new way of managing that starts from listening and goes to uh, have a, a real life balance. Wow, I, I'm, I'm looking at Andrew right now. We've had more calls at either 5 a.m. in the morning or 2 a.m. in the morning uh, being three hours away from each other. I, I like this life balance Alessandro talks about. Is, that, uh, is, this, is this even possible? And I do like the reframing that, I mean, implicit, I think, in what Alessandro says too, is hopefully, hopefully you enjoy your work, right? Because if it, they're, they're twinning with each other, yeah. So, Andrea, I don't know if you have uh, thoughts on life balance or... Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, you know, we did a project last year that was about work life, that, you know, this, un this blending of work life. And I think there's another, I really like what you said, Alessandro, I think there's another level to this that I've experienced personally during pandemic, which is I can't unremember the dog that I see walk through this client's room or the husband that walks by in a hoodie and I'm like, I didn't know you had a husband. Um, you know, toddlers walking through scenes. I can't literally unsee that or unremember that. And, and before, it's kind of a metaphor for me because it used to be, well, I didn't see that, right? Like that was in parentheses, that was kind of del <laughs> deleted. But now it's like, we're all seeing this, except for the people that cheat with the Zoom backgrounds that make them look like they're in a palace. I mean, we, we literally, in some ways, I like this notion of what you were saying about compassion and commitment because once you've seen where someone lives and you understand, what I'm seeing is, it, somebody had this great line the other day, it used to be work-life balance and we did work-life and all this, you know, clever ideas and all the Adam Grant stuff and, you know, work-life. But what we're saying is it used to be that you would work from home. Now we are living at work mm. a lot of our day. And that's never happened to most people, you know, like, living at work, you know, usually you don't have your puppy and your toddlers and homeschooling and your in-laws living with you because they're at risk and all of this other stuff that you left at home to work. And I think that's really, I don't, I haven't processed what's going to happen, but as I said, I can't unremember that. So, you know, every time I see these clients now from these, you know, big corporations with their big desks and their, you know, all of that, but I'll remember, yeah, well, you have a five-year-old. 
you know, like even yeah. Jimmy Fallon, you know, the guy who has the talk show. I love his daughters. They're like hilarious. They, <laughs> they you know, he does his show on his iPhone. It's very homespun. And I'm not sure I ever need to see network television again. Here's one for you, Andrew. Uh, somebody said the other day that in the future, having an office that isn't in your home will be viewed as a perk or, or as a, you know, a, uh, not a necessary, but if you have that, oh, you must be doing well in your venture or your life or your career. Um, I don't know. Like, uh, it's an interesting Yeah, they say that, that work is good. That's going to be like a status symbol to have an office, which I think is hilarious. Here's what I think. I think that, so by the way, we are putting it out there that we want to work with companies like Ikea because we believe that there is this thing called a Zoom cart where you create like backgrounds, microphones, and, ring, and lighting rings that you can literally just kind of bring with you, you know, wherever you go. And it's a kind of furniture. It, it has a, you know, we want them to invent this, a desk that you can stand at or sit at. It can have a treadmill attached. And that's kind of all the square footage that you need. And by the way, it's always six feet from anybody else in your universe. So we're only mildly kidding about it, but we think that that's the kind of thinking that's going to come next. Oh, my Lord. This offends the Apple principle of do one thing well, right? You want everything in a chair, um, all features, right? So, yeah. Um, Mar, weigh in here. What, what either on the discussion we're having or, or what, what are you yeah. considering an outcropping here? So I think uh, I actually agree with everything you were, you were saying, and I'll just share something with you. Um, I think working from home has just been, has just uh, been jump-started jump in, in Spain because in the last uh, few years, about only about 5% of the workers would work from home, even though Spain is a country with the highest fiber to the home penetration rate in Europe. Hmm. So we've, although we've had the technology supporting working from home, the, the culture wasn't there. The culture was still encouraging people to be physically present in the workplace. So that's a great example of how the digital transformation is as much about people and culture as it is about technology. Um, but I think also it's been very intense because we've all been in crisis management for the last few weeks, right, since it all started. I think as things go back to normal slowly, um, these, these will also become a bit more, more normal. So working from home won't mean you're on the calls all the time every day 24 7 i think people does need to switch off and and it's necessary actually also to become more creative to have time to just do nothing right and uh, so i think this is a very specific and you know intense period but it doesn't always have to be this way working from home can mean something else yeah that's an interesting uh Reframing, I, I'm always curious to know whoever started inventing offices and businesses that you had to go to, right, uh, given 40-minute commutes and the like. All right, we did set up the expectation that we're not only just going to talk pandemic, we're going to talk about skills, talents, and careers. We might have been able to have this discussion back in December when pandemic wasn't a topic or, or it may have influenced your point of view. I had four different debate areas. Christine, we'll start with you on this one. Just uh, you can pick any of them or go off the board. Um, artificial intelligence, net, it's good. It gets rid of all the routine work and you know we'll be able to uh, be in charge of it. Or no, we're really gonna work for it. Uh, it's gonna control us. Um, I know we just talked about talent being kind of more gigged and open versus you know hired. Um, 
diversity? Will we be more inclusive? Uh, will it be you still have a glass ceiling and the workforce? Um, there's something I heard a stat today, something like there's still 75 million jobs that are out there that need to be filled. The, the, and the challenge is, um, you know, people aren't qualified to fill them. So um, what is it? We're going to have a well-adapted, uh, well-proportioned workforce, or we're going to be completely mismatched for the future. Um, so take one of those or take one of your own in terms of the talent debate. Yeah, I'd love to. Thanks for the invitation, Sean and, and Andrea. Um, you know, artificial intelligence, I think I've spoken a little bit about digital transformation and the next frontier really being hunting down those transactional costs. I think we have such a long runway here that, you know, I don't, um, I don't think there's any immediate risk of, of being displaced. If I think about the organizations that I work with, um, including kind of in global retail, um, many of the public sector organizations the runway for um, AI and for digital transformation is, is really um, endless. And I think there's going to be a real demand um, for, for folks to kind of um, uh, demonstrate that they are ready to kind of um, see the opportunity for transformation, be able to source the right technology, be able to influence um, acquisition and adoption of, of that um, digital technology. So I think, you know, that leads me really naturally into the last one. And I know you didn't invite me to take two, but I almost have to here. Um, so if you think about the workforce, you know, the question is, if those are the skills that we really need here, um, you know, whose responsibility is it to, um, to really make sure that this upskilling and reskilling of the workforce happens. And, you know, what I would really argue here is uh, that it is really um, incumbent upon uh, the workforce themselves to, to take on that responsibility. If you look at what is available to us in open source through MOOCs, through um, endless um, opportunities to learn, through social learn learning, formal learning. I mean, we, the world is our oyster in terms of um, reskilling. And I see more and more of, um, of, of younger generations, my generation, older generations, taking this as their own personal responsibility um, to reskill. What the real challenge here is going to be for employers and for executives is to track the upskilling and reskilling that their employees and candidates are taking on themselves so that they can fully utilize the skill sets that they have at their disposal. I got a, just a quick follow-up there. Like, um, I know I've been dealing a little bit with blockchain and uh, the notion that you should have certifications on things and they should be able to travel across borders and uh, you should be able to assert that, uh, I guess for yourself, that you've actually taken this course and you're trained in this. And for an employer, you they should be able to look at your blockchain thing and say, yes, um, that's a reputable school and that is a reputable record that says you've done it. Um, is that the future? Gosh, yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be more transparency all around. So transparency when it comes to credentials and qualifications, um, transparency when it comes to performance, pay. Um, I think we are walking into a future that is transparent, uh, more transparent from both sides, um, both the employer side and the employee side. So um, for sure, I do think that's the future. Now, 
um, that doesn't necessarily need to be based in um, in really kind of um, a suspicion or a guardedness towards one another, but more of uh, you know we are we are mutually committed to um, building a future together, and we are going to do what it takes and demonstrate our um, commitment towards that by being transparent about our credentials, about our um, qualifications, our pay our performance and our financials if we're um, a corporation or um, another type of organization. Great question. I must be letting my, my Gen Xness show because I'm good on everything you just said except for transparency of pay. I still remember being in my 20s going, I'm not going to tell my salary to the, the cubicle mate beside me. Like, that's horrible. Like, uh, this should be uh, under a kind of a cloak and dagger here. So maybe maybe I'm I'm old. I'm not too sure. I hope I'm not. Oh, gosh. And you know what? I've, I've got to riff on off of that for a minute, Sean, because what I, what I challenge us both on is perhaps that is a perspective that is Canadian. If you walk into some other cultures, you know, one of the first questions um, that can be asked in a conversation is um, what you do and how much you earn. Um, so let's let's challenge ourselves on on that and uh, see where the future takes us. Great. Well, okay. This is a good pivot then to Mark because you've got at least four continents you've either been or worked on or been around. Uh, what's your what's your global perspective on the future of talent here, Mark? Well, I think um, all of these topics are really interesting and they're all related to some extent. But one thing I would say, given that in the last few weeks there's been so much um, on e-learning, right? Everybody has some e-learning platform or um, is sharing sort of webinars or some other groups online to learn and develop, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think the fact that there is a lot, it doesn't mean that it's all good. And by that, I mean that it, it has come a point where I think we need to think about learning as uh, something that we integrate with change management. So learning should not be about acquiring knowledge. It should be about um, changing behaviors. So as a student, I need to know how going through this course will make me acquire new skills that I can apply when I go back to work, right? And that's the way we need to think. And I see still far too many courses where you just sit passively there and someone is just talking at you with no interaction, no engagement, no practical side of the content. So I think this is really important. So in order for the workforce to be more adaptable and better prepared, they have to have this uh, lifelong learning mindset, but we as organizations, we need to also have the responsibility to create a good learning environment, a learning culture, learning culture, which also means uh, making it easy for people to unlearn, right? Because it's as important <laughs> as learning nowadays uh, to let go really of um, you know, habits and ways of doing things that uh, now data is allowing us to question, right? Data, the good thing about data and technology is that it's allowing companies to um, see what blind spots they might have. And by doing so, it is helping accelerate learning and, and help the workforce be better prepared. So good. I, I love the point about unlearning. Um, I'm going to ask Alessandro, because uh, as much as we're all experts here, you ran a thing called Talent Garden. So you got to know something about talent, I, I figure. So um, what's, uh, what's your take on the future of talent? 
the point of the future of talent uh, for me is that talent will be gigged and open and when adaptable and well positioned or i mean uh, the the problem the risk is that uh, talent uh, uh, will uh, will be hard and closed and at the same time mismatched and prepared so not any more talent um the the real point is uh, Mar, uh, as mar said before is that we must have learning organization that uh, i mean help us uh, 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 learning uh, to unlearn, learning to learn, learning to teach. Because the problem is that uh, uh, many times uh, uh, we have organizations that uh, uh, once uh, they hire people, they stop nurturing uh, these people. And so you pass from being a talent to being uh, just a worker to being uh, some, someone that is not anymore able to work. And so the, the risk is that, uh, I mean, the best talents are gig and open because uh, they are, I mean, uh, continuously update and they don't want to go in a company uh, in which they stop learning. So uh, what's the focus here? The focus is uh, on uh, the sea level of the companies and how they decide they want to shape the future of their companies. And so uh, someone that's, uh, I mean, like a discussion between the CEO and the chief HR officer uh, with uh, uh, the chief HR that is saying, uh, oh, let's invest money in uh, training for these people. And the CEO asks, okay, but then if they decide to go away from the company, what happens? And uh, the chief HR answer, if we don't invest money in uh, training them and then they decide to stay in the company what happens <laughs> yeah so for me that, that that's the point i think that uh, the future of talent will be both on gig and open and hired and closed but i mean the talents will be hired by companies that invest in the future of their talents interesting stuff um I got so many follow-ups, but it's even in a conversation format, we'll not even cover off most of the debate. Um, Andrea, give me your like 15 second epitaph on, on talent here before we move on to skills. Oh, Andrea, you might be muted. So we were talking the last session about who owns the talent and the fact is it used to be you were locked in as talent. So in parents' generation, grandparents' generation, you got a job and the company owns you. You're a company guy, right? You're a company man. And that is so different now. And, and I liked what Alessandro was just saying, like, so what do you do about that? Knowing that everybody's nimble, nobody's gonna be quote loyal for life. But, but I think that what that means is that, that this feeling of constantly knowing that it's in everyone's interest to see something that needs to be incorporated into a skill or a talent get it into the DNA of the people and the organization and keep it going, whether you're search replacing the individuals or not, because the talent, you know, if they're great, they're, they're going to be the first to find another job or not. Um, that's just the basics. I remember when, um, I'm, I'm going to say this, even though I'm dropping names, but I remember when HP took over Compaq years back and we looked at, we were doing projects with Compaq at the time and someone said, um, oh, well, you know, 
we, you know, we shouldn't do anything to retain these people, just let them go. Well, who were the first people that could go? The ones with the most talent. And so then what do you do? You know, the, the risk is you're stuck with the, the worst people because they're the ones that weren't able to go anywhere. So I think it's exactly what Alessandro just said, that it's, it's good. There's no, nothing but goodness that comes from keeping talent really on the cutting edge of, of learning. And also what was said earlier by Mar and also Christina, that the way you get that knowledge or skill is not like, I've got a certificate, therefore I know Python. You know, it's, it's a lot more maker experiential. Agree, agree, agree. We're in unanimous agreement. Danger of groupthink here. Hopefully we'll, we'll get into a juicy debate here somewhere. Skills and learning, and I'm going to ask, uh, we go more staccato on this because we got even careers behind this. This is such a volume subject. We could do a full day on this, Andrea. Maybe we should. Um, Mar, you got first crack at this. Skills in the future. Uh, it'll be more traditional. Actually, we've already covered workplace. So the skills in demand, more specialists, more generalists. Learning will remain early life, schools, you know, whoever, or lifelong learning. And responsibility. I think we've already brought this up as well. Who's responsible for reskilling and learning? Is it education, institutions, is government, or is it business and not for profits? Um, take your pick. Go off the board. Um, right. Okay. So I will go with the learning will go will be sort of perpetual, lifelong. I, I do believe strongly in this. I think it's uh, it's a must. Uh, we cannot afford not to be learning throughout our lives and learning from you know different experiences, uh, different projects. We have more than ever before the opportunity to participate in cross-functional teams, in cross-industry groups. Um, we actually even collaborate with competitors. So um, and and people are more willing to you know to have a career path that is not necessarily a promotion within the same organization you know a career path will be a selection of experiences so i think learning will will be forever really that you know that and having like a curious mind i think are skills that uh, we certainly value when it comes to recruiting people and we try to foster within the organization with uh, with you know little things little habits from when you finish a project, you actually never finish it unless you do um, a session where you reflect on, on what, uh, what's gone well, what hasn't gone so well, you know, what could we have done better, what are the lessons that we have learned and will apply in the next opportunity. And things like lunch and learn sessions, so you can you can learn from other people in other in other departments or for some from someone who's uh, been off. Um, on a conference or something and they want to share what they've learned and how it applies to this workplace, to these organizations. So I think we need to think in HR, um, part of our role in people and culture is really creating that sort of learning organization, learning culture. And it, it goes from not just providing the best courses, but providing the best environment where people feel safe to fail as long as um, they extract some learning from it and they're willing to apply it. Also in oh. terms of knowledge management as well, right? So a big part of it is, is not just about organizing and um, having classified all the things that the company knows, but also what's in people's heads and what we're learning on a day-to-day -day basis, right? So 
question ourselves, be open, be humble, um, to be, uh, you know, um, create a team and engage a team of people that are better than you because no one can know everything. So we really need to collaborate. We need, we need to play on our strengths and we need to complement each other within and outside of the organization. I, I love your, uh, you're on a piece about just, I guess I'd call it institutionalized learning, right? Like it's not only learning within a project, but having the company kind of have all those experiences with so much turnover and maybe even gig economy, who will be the stewards of learning within companies and like, how is that readily accessible? Because my, my fear is it, with everything online, you know, everything's accessible, but nothing's really, you know, turning into either insight or decision because it's, there's just too much. So um, back in my old P&G days, we used to have these big binders we would carry around to all of our meetings and they essentially were the, the Bible according to your brand. And as stupid as it was, there was actually some real good benefit to knowing what the business review from six years ago on your business was, um, yeah. strangely enough. So. Yeah, I would just actually add to that one little thing. Um, I want to thank you and Andrea for the for the work you do. Those of us who are passionate about the future of work and, and we follow you, you're doing us a huge favor because you're able to curate content to separate the noise from what's really valuable to create knowledge yourself so um it's fantastic and i think that is what we need because there's just so much information so much noise that uh, everyone employees um can be easily distracted right so one of the skills that are really valuable going forward is, is to be able to focus the ability to focus in a world full of distraction is really important I mean, first of all, I'm blushing. So thank you for that. I think Andrea is blushing too in her uh, San Francisco tan that she's got here. Um, uh, and in the spirit of focus as well, I'm going to ask Christine, Alessandra, and Andrea, give me, give me your 20 seconds on skill so we can, uh, this is where we're in the, uh, the fourth quarter of the match right now. So uh, let's, uh, let's see, give, give me a soundbite, uh, Alessandra, in terms of where skills are going. Uh, I think that, uh, I mean, speaking of work skills, so the, the, the point is learning will be lifelong. I love this word perpetual because the, the point is that uh, we must go on learning different things. And so skills in demand will be more generalist if uh, we, I mean, uh, observe a lifelong period and will be more specialist if we observe uh, just like a couple of years but more specialists for a couple of years, uh, that is something different from the next couple of years because uh, uh, everything is changing uh, so fast and continuously. I mean, digital transformation is not something uh, with a big event uh, and then a definite change, but it's a, a sum of uh, an infinite number of, of small events. And so we must go on, uh, I mean, changing our skills and uh, um, the point is that uh, when uh, the, what is the responsibility? The responsibility uh, in providing edu education is from the education institutes, the government, uh, uh, but then uh, the responsibility for learning is in, within the business. Because, uh, uh, I mean, as you said before, and as Mar uh, uh, especially, I mean, explained, uh, uh, the noise uh, is super uh, loud and uh, we have a lot of content. I don't think that uh, the Netflix uh, of learning is something useful. 
is something definitely unuseful because we need learning experiences that are, I mean, totally connected to the business and, uh, uh, I mean, uh, uh, to the way we must use those skills. So the responsibility is within the business and within the people that must be trained. So good. Wow. I feel like uh, kind of singing a tune based on what you're saying. Um, Christine, just a, a quickie on this one. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm 100% aligned with, with Alessandra's point about it really resting in the, the business and, and nonprofit. And what I'd, I'd um, call up here is just a, a model that's really familiar to you um, around the 70-20-10 principle um, on learning. This 70% of, um, of the most effective learning really happens um, in role on the job, whereas kind of the least effective is really that formal learning that we would see over on the left side of the equation here. Um, so 100% aligned, you know, I do see the responsibility. Um, and what I would just add to that right side is personal responsibility of employees in addition to um, businesses kind of creating the space and nonprofits creating the space um, for that learning to happen uh, in role um, uh, from peers and then also um, broad sourcing any opportunities that are available um, to us online. I know it's uh, horrible to say too, Christine, but um, the pandemic has, has certainly eaten into business conferences and that's not necessarily a bad thing, I think, when I look at, you know, <laughs> sending somebody away for three days to a conference to learn and, you know, they get a lot of good swag and uh, the, the speakers on stage, and I think myself and Andrea rail at this all the time, leave you with no practical takeaway to come back to Monday morning at work, right? It's just, oh, so as much as I'm shooting myself on the foot, maybe. All right, um, we'll have to go real quick on this just to wrap up. Um, but career debates, uh, more gig versus hired. Um, will boomer values continue? Will it be more kind of future generations or later, or earlier, younger generations? Um, you know, one thing that I have, like we're having a discussion about people that are in thought jobs, white collar workers, gray collar workers. If I'm a truck driver right now, am I really feeling good about technology? Um, like, so, uh, and what happens to this universe of people that, you know, if you're in a skill set that takes three seconds to do something, technology is probably going to replace it. So what, where is your value in life then? So I'd, I'd be curious in your thoughts there. The workday we've talked about, and, you know, they say, I think I've seen some stat and I don't know who came up with the information. It's one of these, these little urban myths that the average kind of student coming to school have 14 jobs in their lifetime. So you'll have to weigh in on this. It's either more or less than 14 jobs. I don't want you sitting on the fence at all. I've, I've made it like that. And then I'll throw a fun one in. We came up in the last discussion, Italian guy, actually, Alessandro. So I'll be interested in your answer here. Is the F word in the workplace a swear word? Uh, there's your fun thing. Can you use the F word? Um, probably not all the time, but can you use it um, occasionally and for emphasis and it still be okay? So take any of those and uh, I guess we're back to you, Alessandro. Uh, I would try to say that talent would be 50% gig than 50% hired and the generational values will be totally radically new. So generation Z or generation alpha, but something different we, we experienced in the past. Technology for sure will eliminate horrible jobs and we create a new, I mean, uh, jobs based on our brains. And the workday will be 
<laughs> the workday must be shorter and wellness based, but it would be a long, long, long battle. And the new worker will have, uh, I would say, the right number of jobs. I don't know if more or less than 14. You but, have to. I mean, that's my only rule on this. You have to. Yeah. <laughs> Probably, probably you, you, you have to say and more than 14, more than 20, but it depends. Everything will change so fast that uh, I don't know. But the point is that the workday must be shorter and the values must be radically new. Good. And uh, I noticed that you st stick handled around uh, the F word, uh, you, so uh, I'm, I'm guessing maybe, maybe it's yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Just uh, and maybe for the the shortness of time, just choose one of these for anybody else that wants to weigh in here. Um, just um, any thoughts, Mark, Christine, Andrea? Yeah, I'll jump in if that's okay. Um, I'm again like before, more towards the right hand side. So um, hard uh, talent would be hard, closed um, generational values will be that's the only one actually I would say I'm in the middle I don't think they'll be new I think um, always people have valued uh, values it's just that because of transparency trust is the currency now and that's why um, it, it, it kind of becomes more visible but I've, I think values have always been there and people are uh, engaged by leaders with values um, and then yeah Technology will definitely create jobs. It's just a question of us being able to work out how to complement each other, um, including all the technology um, advances. And um, in terms of the workday, will probably be shorter. Well-being is important. And as I said before, creativity is one of the skills we need for the future or for now. And hence, it's important to keep that balance. And the last thing, the new worker will have probably more than 14 jobs in a lifetime. The challenge for companies is how can we make sure that we provide opportunities for talent to have those 14 jobs, if not 14, maybe a part of it within, within the company without having to leave the company, right? So that's me. Okay, and Christine, let's, uh, I'm gonna make you do it quick just cause we're get, we're gonna have to wrap this up shortly, so. Absolutely. Well, I'm, you know what, I've, I've been aligned um, along the, the right for most of these. Um, the one that I'll pause on is just the, the boomer versus um, Gen Z generational values. There's a time and a place for, for each. And I think particularly in crisis, we see that. Um, and, you know, um, the one I'll just weigh on, in on quickly is the F-bomb. Like, look, um, there's, there's nothing like someone dropping an F-bomb in a moment of heat that um, helps you kind of um, see them as a, a human and, and develop some trust with them. So I say it's not out. Yeah. Yeah, I don't use it much, but a, a well-placed F-bomb, uh, when even some of the best books that are out on bookshelves now actually refer to F-words or S-words or whatever. So uh, I think it, it may be not a swear word anymore. Andrea, any, any comments on swear words or anything else? Well, I like the fact that the initials for future-proofing next are F-N. <laughs> I, I rest my case. It's subtle. It's there. Uh, yeah, I, I have one. I have one. Work, don't we? Yeah, it's it's effing amazing. It's so um, 
I have one quick thing, which is that um, I'm amazed that the depth of experience of everyone on the panel today still you know, brought so many new thoughts. I thought that I had thought every thought there was around future of work, and I have found some incredible red threads that I want to follow up on. And I think the last thing that I want to say is this idea of um, where, where we get our learning. I mean, what are we learning, right? And so it feels to me like the big, the big mashup for me is if you're trying to learn something that used to be linear, like someone said, the Netflix for learning is like the last thing we need. I'm going to think about that a lot because I agree, but I haven't quite figured out what that might look like. But, but I, I think you're right. We need a model for the model. Well, uh, that's a good way to wrap up kind of our debate moments here. I, I, my panel's being spot on. I'd love to disagree with a lot of them. I, on this list, I think the 24-7 one, I, I might take task with. I think the day will be shorter for everybody, but when you do your day is going to be quite different. And so um, it's going to be a 24-7 world, and I'm going to decide I'm going to work from 2 a.m. to 9 a.m., and that's going to be okay. So anyway, I could be wrong, though. Um, We've got a couple of future uh, podcasts coming up. We do these every couple of weeks. And uh, I don't know, I think, what do you guys think of today as panelists? Because we may introduce this after hours thing for all of our, our webcasts in the future. Is it, um, I don't know, you'll have to, who was on the webcast earlier? Mar, were you on the webcast earlier? I was a part of it. It's, yeah. this kind of feels like it's got a different vibe, right? Like a little bit more yeah. casual. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, definitely less formal. It's fun to be on it, and uh, well, thank you for the opportunity to learn from you guys. All right, uh, we got a newsletter. I think in our next newsletter, um, this will have a, a fairly prominent place on uh, on it. I think it's future of work themed. Um, we got a book coming out. Myself and Andrea, um, we delayed it for the pandemic, but we can't delay anymore. It has to be revealed. So um, coming up May twenty fifth. And also, and this is open to the panelists as well as other people listening, we've got an open form guild trying to make sense of the world. We've got people that are techies, people that are in politics, people that are academia, um, and they're all weighing in on what the future looks like on whatever this next normal is gonna look like. So join us if you want to at hello at futureproofingnext.com. And like I said, we also have this other guild called the Future of Work that is working with the intent of uh, producing a document that makes um, some of the stuff that we've talked about very, very clear. And um, this is why people said they wanted to join us and what they what they thought they were bringing to the table. And uh, I'll zip through that. We're a community, we're foresights, we're engagements. Uh, I didn't want to spend too much time. I want to thank our panelists yet again, uh, delivering uh, your A game. Uh, as we start to wane, probably, right, Andrea? We've been going for the last three, <laughs> three four hours online. But um, thank you, Christine. Thank you, Alessandra and Mar. Um, and we will be posting this up in a couple of days. So, Andrea, I'll let you, uh, I closed out the last one. I'll let you close out this discussion. Always more to think about and always look forward to seeing everyone in the future, which we know is now. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you very much. It was uh, really an interesting conversation. Thank you, Alexander.